What's up? Happy Thanksgiving. And even more importantly, happy Black Friday. I am offering Within the Sphere of the Master, an insider's account of being mentored by, studying with, and playing alongside the great legendary Bud Herseth. Ordinarily, it's $35. Black Friday through Cyber Monday, it is $10. And it's delivered right on my app. And it's easy as can be. 10 bucks. Withinthesphere.book.com. Get your copy now. It will not be this inexpensive for very long. marvels of the world is the sign of a soul sitting in prison with the key in its hand, said the great Persian poet Rumi. It never ceases to amaze me how eager people seem to be to remain in prison. I'm not talking about literal jail that's owned by the state or the city or the county with cells, barbed wire, guards, wardens. I'm referring to ways in which we enslave ourselves to injustices suffered, maybe as a result of going to jail, anger toward others, perhaps the way we were raised to view money, success, even failure. What's even more incredible is to see people go through all of the work of starting a creative project, in my case like a podcast, perhaps an album, a group of some sort, maybe an odyssey channel only to put a bunch of imaginary constraints on the content. Influencer X does it this way. Superstar media guy doesn't do it this way. This is way too racy. No one will ever take me seriously. Here's the translation. I don't have enough confidence in myself and my message to stand or fall on it, so I'm just going to play it safe. Remember that movie, Maverick? Published in the 90s, Brett Maverick says, He who runs away today can run away another day. Doesn't exactly inspire confidence, does it? There's no feeling in the world quite like listening to or reading something you've published that is uniquely you. Something only you would publish, either online or offline. It may not even be the best quality audio. Maybe the grammar leaves something to be desired. But it's you. It's your voice. It's not the voice of someone who has hired you to mimic their voice, nor is it a copy of a copy of a thrice Xeroxed freshman English paper that you see so often online. Fear of sticking out like a sore thumb in the crowd is real, and it's one that I myself fight just about every time I hit publish or send on anything. You shouldn't play your horn on the intro to your podcast. Better to shine the spotlight on someone else more accomplished than you, says the tiny voice inside of me, discouraging me from being all that I can be. You shouldn't monetize your show. You'll be branded a greedy capitalist who only cares about the almighty dollar. You shouldn't quote ancient Persian poets in your emails or your podcasts. People will just think you're plain weird. 
I suppose I am a little bit weird, but compared to what? You? We're all a little bit weird in our own ways, aren't we? We've got idiosyncrasies, flaws, outright faults. Even this podcast introduction is going in a bit of a weird direction, but I'm just going with the flow here. Like the poet Rumi said, the person is just sitting in that cell, holding the key to get out. All he needs to do is put the key in the lock, let himself out. Yes, it's unnerving to be out of the familiar confines of the cell, but it doesn't take long to adjust and realize just how limiting it had been all along and just how beautiful real freedom is. Hello, everybody. This is James Newcomb. Welcome to the show. I'm delighted that you have chose to press play on today's episode. I am going back into the archives of the podcast from the very first year of the show, which was 2016, and I have realized there was a lot of really good material that was published in that first year. In spite of my limitations as a podcast host and interviewer, we still managed to get a lot of really great um, content published, and this one that you're going to hear today is no exception. In fact, this one was among the highlights of that very first year of the podcast. We get to hear from Bernard Edelstein, rest in peace. Uh, Mr. Edelstein passed away, I, th- I, w- I think, a couple of years after we recorded this podcast, and um, I was just fortunate enough to, I think, get his phone number, called him up and asked if he wanted to be featured on a podcast, and well, who doesn't like to be featured? Well, Mr. Edelstein said, sure, I'd, I'd love to get on the phone with you and have you record my recollections of my time with the Cle- Cleveland Symphony. And so that's what you're going to hear in today's episode. Uh, the audio wasn't great. Like I said, it was on a landline and I was on Skype. And uh, But in spite of it, it's still a terrific interview. And I remember this one very fondly as one of the highlights of that first year, if not my entire podcasting career. It was a really wonderful interview. One more thing, I'm going to play for you a piece by Gabrielli, and it's one of those pieces by Gabrielli that I know by listening to it, but I can't remember the name of the piece. It's Canzona Par Sonar something. Anyway, this is the Cleveland Orchestra and the Chicago Symphony and the New York Philharmonic Brass playing that piece by Gabrielli, and then we just jump into my conversation with Bernard Edelstein.
So Bernie Edelstein. Is that, how do I say it? Yeah, it could be Edelstein, it could be Adelstein, it could be Edelstein, or Edelstein. Well, how do you say it? My brother says Adelstein, or he used to say Adelstein, and I I always said Edelstein, so I say Edelstein, but I guess it's like a German-sounding name, but the parents came from Russia, so I don't know how they they got the German in there, but it has to be some historic thing that I never bothered looking up. Well, tell tell me about your start on the trumpet. About my what? My start? Yeah. How did you yeah. get started? Oh, well, I don't know. I was about eight years old, and my mother says I I want to play trumpet. I had asthma pretty bad as a youngster, you know. I had all kinds of treatments and shots and all that stuff. And she said, well, you know, how can he play trumpet with with asthma? And she said, the doctor said, well, if it doesn't work, we'll just have to give it up. But if it he can handle it. He said, it would be good. Anybody playing a wind instrument who has, uh, you know, that kind of problem, you know, uh, could handle it, perhaps. So uh, I wasn't even aware of it, you know. It was no big deal to me. You go to the doctor, then you get a shot, and, <laughs> and that was it. But... Uh, where was yeah, this that I, you grew up? I grew up in Cleveland. Oh, in Cleveland, Cleveland Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when I started working, uh, my first job was in Pittsburgh with the Pittsburgh Symphony, and, and I was pretty much over, over the country, around the country, and then I ended up in, a, in Cleveland uh, when, I, when I joined the Cleveland Orchestra. Mm-hmm. But that was many years later, you know. Yeah, I was... A little surprised to find out that some very fine trumpet players also had uh, asthma. So <laughs> it was uh, a little bit of a shock to me, you know. I didn't think, it, you know, I'm talking about some of the really top, uh, top professionals in the, in the business. So anyway, that's... Uh, that was interesting to me. Uh, so, so other trumpet players had asthma? A- absolutely, French horn players. Really? Yeah. Would yeah. we recognize any of the names? Yeah, you probably would, but I'd rather not mention it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. Well, what made you decide that you wanted to be a professional trumpet player? Uh, I don't know. But we lived in a two-family house in Cleveland. We lived on the first floor, and on the second floor was Hyman Golden was his name, and he played bass, bass fiddle with the Cleveland Orchestra. And his young son uh, was a violinist, and uh, let's see, his middle son played 
I don't know, bass and trumpet. And so he was the one that got me started. He was mm-hmm. my first teacher. <laughs> yeah. I just go upstairs for a lesson, or he'd come downstairs to give me a lesson. And, you know, I was with him for close to a year. And then uh, I guess things went pretty well. And uh, I, I don't know, you know, music was all around. And uh got to hear the Cleveland Orchestra many times. And I said, gee, that's, that was that really interested me and uh, so I started being getting serious about it and uh, uh, that's that's how I started and mm-hmm. by the time I was 13 or 14 uh, I every year in school we'd have they'd have competitions and uh, I I, I got first place on quite a few of them. In those days, they, they would give up medals, regular <laughs> medals. <laughs> I had a few blue medals. I think that was for first place or something, and there was a couple of red medals, and <laughs> maybe it was vice versa. I can't remember <laughs> a long time ago. But anyway, that's, that's how I got interested and from the time I was, I don't know, Twelve or thirteen. That was my main main interest. Mm. Well, you um, you got your first job fairly early with the Pittsburgh Symphony. Yeah, you were fairly young, weren't you? Yeah, I was uh, sixteen, I think. Wow, I went there. Sixteen, but that was for second trumpet. Okay, he was. Of course, I have to say that it was during the Second World War, mm. and I, I think most everyone, eighteen and over, were were in the army. You know, so I, there were a lot of uh, uh, temporary players in the Pittsburgh Symphony. The personnel would change twenty players every year. Really. Know? The conductor would hire someone and didn't turn out too well, so mm. he wouldn't let them go after a year. You know. So, how is it? Uh, can huh? you de- can you describe how you got the job? Was there an audition process for it? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it, it was it was different. Uh, yeah. My 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 teacher told me that there was a. Uh, an opening in the Pittsburgh Symphony. The conductor was Fritz Reiner, who turned out to be a, a very famous conductor. And uh, he had a second trumpet player gotten in New York, and I guess he wasn't working out too well. So he talked to my uh, my teacher, and. Uh, so he, my teacher recommended me, so they called me to come for an audition. You know, it wasn't that, it was just a one one person for one position. And, mm. you know, not like it is now when there's an opening, you'll get a hundred guys right, right. coming. And it's unbelievable, you know. So I went, uh, I played for him, I'm very relaxed, you know, 
at that age. <laughs> Fearless too, at that age. You're too young and stupid to, to, to get <laughs> nervous. Okay. Or, you know, <laughs> like that. So I went and I played, and I, I played quite well, you know, and, uh, and he said, okay, you can start on Monday. <laughs> well, I said, I, oh, I can't come Monday. He said, why not? I said, well, I'm in school, you know, and I didn't know. So he said, well, why didn't you come? <laughs> I said, well, I came because I thought the job was for next next year. And he was not too happy. So anyway, well, a few months later, it passed, and then they, they wrote me, and they wanted me to come in the fall, and uh, he sent me a contract, and... Uh, that's, that's how I got started. I, I, I stayed for four years, and uh, I learned a lot. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. th- that's really interesting that you had that opportunity. to be, Yeah. Because the Pittsburgh Symphony now, they wouldn't give that opportunity to a 16-year-old. No, they wouldn't have to. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there was just, there was just, there was that few musicians that were available because of the war. Yeah, so wow. it's, you know, classical musicians probably mm-hmm. a few. Yeah. Wow. So. Well, so did you? So you had this job in Pittsburgh, and were you considering other careers at that point, or did you? No. Just no, decide I, I'm going to be a trumpet I was playing well. I was playing second trumpet, which right. was perfect. Man perfect place to, to learn mm. to learn a lot <laughs> so uh, my ambition was to be a first trumpet player you know mm-hmm. the primo and so when I was 20 I, I left I'd spent four years in Pittsburgh and uh, I left and I I think I went to Dallas yeah with, with uh, the conductor with Dorati uh, Hungarian conductor, and uh, uh, you know, I'd never p- played for a conductor, any kind of a conductor, uh, except in the student orchestra in Cleveland, you know. So I really didn't realize how great Reiner was until I left and I started playing for many other conductors who had good reputations. And, uh, mm. But it was a shock for me until I. So Dallas, you were the you were the principal player. Well, yes, okay. from from the the time from after I left Pittsburgh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. So, what what made Fritz Reiner so special? Do you think? Well, he knew what he wanted, mm. and. Uh, he uh, had terrific control uh, over the orchestra. Uh, he had a, a, a stick technique, you know, and it was very unusual. The more difficult the uh, piece got, or the certain passage got, his beat would get smaller and smaller. And you had to really watch him very closely, mm. <laughs> or you'd miss it. You wouldn't know. And he just 
and this thing got excited. He he would get smaller, and uh, you know, t today a lot of the conductors are it's more of a theatrical. It's a show. They're they're showing the, the technique, and it's more like a ballet. <laughs> something hmm. you know, they're moving around a lot, but nothing is happening. And, uh, so, and, and certain pieces, uh, it, it just was not very exciting, the uh, sound and his interpretation. And uh, after he left Pittsburgh City, he went to New York and uh, was with the Metropolitan Opera for a number of years. And after that, he left and went to Chicago, to Chicago City, which had a, a very good reputation, and he he brought it to the top, and he toured Europe and all over the world, you know, a lot. So Chicago became like one of the three or four top orchestras in the States. Mm. In fact, even, even in the world. Wow. Considered, you know, very fine under under writer. All right, so Dallas and then Minneapolis. Yeah, what were right. I grew up in Minneapolis. Oh really? Yeah. Well, after your time, I mean, I was born in seventy. Oh, yeah. I was born in seventy six. So, oh. so I was probably born after you had left there. Seventy six. Let's see, seventy six. I think I was reading in Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the conductor in the Dallas Symphony was Antal Derotti. Mm -hmm. And I, I played uh, my first year w with him in uh, Dallas, was his last year in Dallas. Then from, from there, he went up to Minneapolis. And uh, let's see, I spent 10 years in Minneapolis, so he, he must have been in Minneapolis for 11 years. A year he came there a year before he hired me, and I spent ten, I spent ten years in Minneapolis. Met my wife there, and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I really liked it. it. It was different. There were a lot of young people there, and uh, we were all learning things, including the conductor. We we played a. A very famous piece, uh, The Rite of Spring by Stravinsky, it's called, and it's, it's very difficult. <laughs> so, obviously, you know, the orchestra had never played it, and he had never conducted it. So he said, we're going to start, like, a month before, he said, we'll spend the like a half hour, last half hour of every rehearsal to learn it. And he, he wanted to uh, uh, conduct it from memory. You know, a lot of changes in mm. tempo. And, uh, so he spent, uh, we spent like a month, a half hour every day on it for a month. And then the week it was performed, we had I think four rehearsals, four full-time rehearsals, I spent the whole time on that. So we spent a lot of 
hours on it, and the orchestra uh, learned it pretty well. We knew it after, after all those <laughs> rehearsals, and I guess he he knew it pretty well finally. And uh, so not today. You go to an orchestra, or a major orchestra, and uh, they can do it with one rehearsal if you have a good conductor. That requires a, a, a conductor. Mm. You know, of course, there's so many changes in it, and uh, a, lot, a lot of things. The conductor just stands there and starts it, and, and it, it, it goes by itself, you know. Mm. And uh, so, so uh, that was one of the. Uh, we actually recorded it in Minneapolis, and then uh, today, a uh, good conductor, one or two two rehearsals with with a good orchestra. You know, they can play it. <laughs> so different than it was uh, mm. thirty, forty years ago. Wow. Well, the yeah. Rite of Spring, that was written, that, that was a fairly new composition at that point, wasn't it? Well, well, let's see. When the hell was it written? I think it was, it was premiered performed, in... Huh? I think it premiered in the 20s? Yeah. Something well, like that. Well, yeah, I, I guess so. It, it was, yeah, it was in the 40s, I, I guess. Huh. Historically, it's not very long. <laughs> it was, it premiered in Paris, and the, and the people booed and left. And they thought it was terrible. <laughs> so a lot of things have changed. They just they just played it here in uh, Sarasota uh, a month or so ago, uh -huh. and they they have a pretty good orchestra in Sarasota. And uh, some good players, and uh, you have a new conductor, a young woman. Uh, she's pretty good. And the orchestra played it, and they got a standing ovation, and the applause wouldn't stop. And <laughs> she sort of has a reputation uh, for being just a, uh, interested in the classical music, you know, mm -hmm. nothing modern or anything. Of course, you know, basically it's an old audience, so <laughs> you can understand that, but uh, I guess the, the, the people went crazy. and It, it, it shocked a lot of people to, to expect uh, such uh, applause and mm -hmm. Recognition. Well, Stravinsky, he's, Stravinsky is hard hard to listen to at first. If you don't really understand what's going on, yeah. it sounds sort of cacophonous at first. Yeah. It well, sounds a little uh, bit chaotic. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, once you get, get into it, it's, 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 it's right, right. Yeah. Wow. Well, so, anyway... And then I recorded it the first in Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis with Dorade, and then later in Cleveland with uh, Boulez. Mm, Pierre Boulez. Boulez. He was one of the, uh, not an assistant with the, uh, like a guest conductor, but he was 
do quite a few weeks but made a lot of records and then we recorded the uh, Right of Spring with him and I, I won a Grammy Award or wow. some, some kind of <laughs> award for, for doing that. So. When you left the Cleveland uh, the Cleveland Orchestra, did you always want to go uh, want to go back? And then you had this opportunity, and was that always your goal to get back to the Cleveland Orchestra? Well, I, I never left. I, I left when I retired. No, I mean after you you left after when you were a young man, you went to Dallas and then Minneapolis. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. Was that always your goal to go back to Cleveland? Well. Not necessarily. I wanted to go to any uh, <laughs> any fine orchestra. Okay. And Cleveland was by many considered the, the best in the country, but we, we toured. You know, we toured a lot in Cleveland and uh, all over the world and uh, in Europe. <laughs> we got a review. I don't know if it was London or Paris or. The, 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 the reviewer said that the the orchestra is the uh, uh, the uh, oh, what's the famous English car famous English Roll, uh, Rolls Royce. Oh, okay. He, he, he said that Cleveland is a Rolls Royce of Sydney Orchestra. Really? Yeah. It's yeah. a rather charitable. Estimation. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and when we were in Minneapolis, we used to tour quarterback six weeks sometimes. And a lot of colleges, uh, you know, up, on, up in the north, mm. you know. And once we played a concert, and the orchestra sounded pretty good. It was kind of a farm town <laughs> and, and the critic was obviously a young person just learning the music critic and <laughs> he said uh, what the hell did he say the brass the brass section sounded like uh, a mating season <laughs> with a mating season with a moose <laughs> Something like that, you know. <laughs> Everybody laughed about us. Actually, we we sounded pretty good that night. So, uh, this was northern Minnesota. That was in, it. Was yeah, Minnesota. Okay. Yeah. Mating season for the moose. So you went from that to being the Rolls Royce of orchestras. Yeah, right. That's nice, yeah. (laughs) I used to tell my students, don't pay any attention to the reviewers. They don't know anything, except if they write something good about you. Then Then they're geniuses. Yeah, Yeah. they're right. Well, that's that's really funny that you would write that and publish it. It's one thing to think yeah. it, but then publish it for yeah. pe- other people to read it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I'd love to hear about your time in the Cleveland Orchestra because you were there for what was it, thirty years? Twenty. Twenty. Almost, I think twenty-six. Twenty-six 20. years. 
No, wait a minute, maybe it's 28. I went in 1960 <clears throat> and left in 88. That's 28 years. 28 years. Yeah. And then uh, is Michael Sachs, is he, did he take your place? He, yeah, he took okay. my place. So he's been there since 88. Yeah, you know, the business, it's a funny business. They were the personnel manager's uh, job was to bring in a number of people to to audition. And in some places, I don't know if it was Chicago, uh, they would have two, two or three different committees and they could be listening to, if each committee uh, took five uh, candidates, uh, there, there could be 15 trumpet players auditioning in, in, in the same day. Mm. And how ridiculous it is because, you know, everyone has a different idea, but they mm. have three different committees. Uh, they, in some orchestra, they just made it uh, obligatory. Uh, ob they were obligated to, to uh, be on a committee. Hmm. And they would rotate it, so you never know. In other words, you could have a harp player on, the, on a, an audition committee of, for a trumpet or horn player or something <laughs> like that. Or, or they could have a, a trumpet player on a committee for a bass player or a violinist and you know it doesn't make a lot of sense I mean, yeah a harpist doesn't know the job of a trumpet player nor does a trumpet player know the, yeah well, I mean there's, there's so much involved uh, you get somebody that plays all the notes and mm. uh, but there's so many musical considerations that uh, well you were more or less you were more or less uh, invited to take the job in Cleveland weren't you uh, yeah it was yeah it was kind of strange it's a, it was a funny story uh, of course I admired the orchestra and, and uh, I mean Zell brought it right to the very top and uh, uh, it had a great reputation Worldwide, in fact, and uh, Zell came to Minneapolis to uh, to con uh, use a guest conductor for one week, and boy, <laughs> did, did everything change. He, uh, we we played a standard program that everyone knew, and uh, oh, he started the rhythm. He was a fa uh, fanatic on. on Rhythm it had to be perfect, and, and he started it on the clarinet player. He, he was rhythmically the way it didn't fit in quite the way he thought it should. And then the, the horn, the French horn, he was giving him a bad time, and uh, I don't think he said, said a word to me as I remember it. And he knew my uh, my teacher, 
his first trumpet player in, in Cleveland, Davidson, never said a word to me. And, and about two years later, he, he called. Uh, we had just moved into, we had a nice small house. We moved into a bigger house. And it was around Christmas time because the kid was our next door neighbor in the old house who rode over on his bike. It was uh, a decent day. It was only about 30 degrees, you know. <laughs> so for, for those people, it was nothing. So the kid rode on a bike and, and brought me over a telegram that I'd gotten from Zell. And I said, uh, when can you come when can he come to Cleveland to talk business? So I, I called him uh, to talk business. Yeah. So we talked, when can you come, Baba? So we set up an appointment. Uh, he said, uh, I have to give a, a different name. I mean, all kinds of weird, weird things. And uh, I didn't know what to say. So I said to him, uh, should I bring my trumpet, uh, Mr. Bell? And he started laughing and laughing. And he said, that might be a good idea. <laughs> so, I, I guess uh, I must have made a good impression uh, on him. Huh. That, that uh, one week uh, I played for him. And it was just a standard uh, program of the Beethoven Symphony and I don't know an overture or something and, and that was it and, and the only thing I could figure out is we had made a lot of records uh, in, in Minneapolis with uh, Mercury it was a great company it, it, what did they had a living presence Living presence. There, there was, uh, and uh, that was, and they had one, uh, one microphone. That was just the start of uh, stereo, I think. They had one microphone over the conductor, and one microphone on, on his left, which was the violins, and one microphone on just the opposite on his right. And that was either the cello section or the viola. So, and and it got such great sound. I suppose uh, he had heard uh, some of the records and uh, he liked my playing. So uh, we would I come to Cleveland and uh, oh, they wanted to know where I was staying. My aunt lived there. I said, I'm staying with my aunt. Oh, good, because they don't want anybody to know about these auditions until they announce it. They can announce it in the paper. Uh, what kind of baloney, you know? <laughs> anyway, I go there, and they escort me up to a small room, which is a, a room. I don't know what it was for recording or something, but it wasn't a recording studio or anything. So two of us, he and I, were, were the only two in this little room. So and no 
anyone else, not even the assistant conductor or anything. And, you know, he didn't rely on anybody else. And uh, he says, uh, there wasn't a music stand there, no music. And he said, play. I said, what would you like to hear? He said, play anything. And there's no such thing as an audition where they don't have... At least they give you a choice, maybe. Play this, play that, you know. Just play. So I started playing some excerpts from the well-known pieces. He said, okay, and then, what the hell, yeah. And then he asked me for, he didn't ask me for anything that I didn't know. And, uh, oh, I started playing one thing by Richard Strauss, I held on later, it's called. Uh, and there's a lot of brass, a lot of trumpet things in there. <laughs> so I started playing something, and he, he jumped on me. Oh, no, no, the rhythm is wrong. Uh, I was, I would rush to the sixteenth, down, take it down, take it down, like that. It said down, take it down, take it down. You know, he was a little free. And no, no, no. He, he said uh, your your sixteenth notes are too fast, and uh, you know. And I said, well. I have an old recording with Mangelberg. Mangelberg was a famous uh, German conductor, you know, 50 or 75 years ago. And uh, there was a recording, an old recording with the New York Philharmonic, a fantastic trumpet player. And that's the way I heard it, and I, I, I thought it sounded great, exciting, you know. And so I mentioned that Mangelberg recording, and he said, oh, no, no, the music is rhythm, music, blah, 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 you know. So I should have played it again. So I played it again, and I did it way one or two. He said, yeah, that's, that's the way it's written, and that's the way it should be played, blah, blah, you know. So that was that. I went up into his office, and... He offered me a job, and of course it wasn't enough money. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I said to him, uh, "Well, I have to talk to my wife." Just a second, please. This is an interview. I talked to that woman. So uh, anyway. Where was I? <laughs> you have to talk to your wife. Oh, I had just I just did a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> so so he said, Oh, I have to talk to your wife. He said, Okay, there's there's the phone on the desk. Call her and he said, I'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> oh my. So I talked to her. I mean she knew I wanted to come back to to Cleveland and play with the orchestra, so I talked to her for a minute and hung up and came in and we talked about certain things, the recording, how much we had paid for recordings and this and 
when I'm obligated to play, which was just about everything. And uh, so uh, he offered me a three-year contract. <laughs> I was so stupid. I should have taken it because I could have been out. So I said, I'll take a two-year contract. So he gave me a two-year contract. He was not too happy. He wanted three years. In those days, they... He had a clause in the contract that, you know, if he didn't like you, he can fire you. And and if you like you, they they keep the contract and the way it was written, three years, you know. In other words, he could have let me go after maybe the second year. He could be a trial or something, but uh -huh. even though I had a three-year contract, and years later, it was found to be illegal, and they could, they couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> but uh, that's that's how. So I started out with a two-year contract, and after that, it was always three years. You know. Yeah. And uh, the funny thing is, when I left, you know, it was very cold out about January. No, just a, well, yeah, beginning of January. And so I put on my hat, and I'm saying goodbye to him, so he comes up to me, and he turns my hat a little bit, he just moves my hat a little bit, and the angle and everything, he said, oh, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> so he he had everything, uh, he, he was, the guy was a genius, really, and uh, some people, he would uh, balance the way he'd balance things. And he wanted, to, you know, the first trumpet is up high, you know, but it cuts through very well. And uh, you can't hear the second, third, the lower voices mm -hmm. quite as much. But uh, he had a way of balancing the thing more, more sound. And that's how it uh, it worked out. And uh, you know, I spent 28 years there. Zell was the toughest conductor <laughs> that I ever played for, and uh, he knew he knew so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he called he called me in once. I think the first year I was there, and. Uh, he says, uh, the E is a flat note on your trumpet, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, because you play without any vowels. And I said, uh, that's why I play first valve and second valve. He said, ah, he said, but that makes it sharp. That's a sharp note. <laughs> and I said, yes, it does make it sharp, but you have a, there's a hook on the slide and you can pull the slide out a little bit and that lowers the pitch so you can get the sharp note in tune by lowering it and that smart ass I, I got you so, so he looks at me and, and he says uh, that octave like with all the things that you can do to play in tune <laughs> <laughs> he says that octave with the second trumpet is still out of tune at the beginning of 
Don Juan, who were playing the piece, mm -hmm. Don Juan, and, and we did have it, and it wasn't bad, it was just, it was really not perfect, the, right. uh, the oxygen there, I said it was, you know, I didn't think it was that bad, and he said, well, it's still out of tune, fix it, okay, <laughs> so that was that time. It was another time. Uh, huh. What the heck was it? Oh, we were on tour. We were playing some modern American piece. I, I forget the composer already. And uh, there was a unison between the trumpet and the violins. And, and then all of a sudden, there's a little discrepancy like I would come in, I had come in like uh, one note uh, ahead of the violins. Uh, it just seemed like there's a misprint in the music, you know, like it, it, the whole thing was together, and all of a sudden there's one thing that's not not quite right. So. <laughs> I go to his office, he had a small office on, on tour someplace, and all he had in the room was a, a little spinet piano, you know, against the wall. And so I said, you know, I started telling him what, what it was, and he said, no, no, no. And he turns around with one hand, he was a terrific pianist, and with one hand, he starts playing the score and looking at me, no no music. He knew exactly <laughs> what, what it was. He says, the trumpet does this, and, and the violins do this. And, and in one place, there, there is a little difference. He said, no, no, that's the way it should be. And mm. I'm standing there. He had no music in front of him to... to guide him along <laughs> like he knew the whole piece note by note and, mm -hmm. uh, amazing because he, he had some pretty impressive things and so anyway, you can't help but uh, respect him uh, for his knowledge I mean, and, and he knew exactly what it was <laughs> what, what, what it should be mm. uh, on the other hand uh there was like no no freedom at all. Mm. Uh, if you have a little solo passage, it's it's gonna match perfectly with with what the orchestra is doing. Some notes, mm. thank you. Some notes, and uh, I guess uh, that was that was quite an experience. He was. Uh, he, he was there my, my last 10 years, and then he, he died after I was there 10 years. And, and things kind of changed. They, they have to. Yeah. Well, who were some of the other conductors that you played under with Cleveland? Uh, it was Zell, and then uh, he was followed by Mazel, Lauren Mazel. I think it was M-A-A-Z-E-L. 
10 years. <laughs> so, like I said, the first two, three years, long for a couple of weeks. And after that, I guess he ends up with like 16 weeks plus a few weeks of, uh, of, of touring, you know. So that was, that was my vow. And, uh, and of course, then Boulez came, and after Zell died, he did more weeks. He did three or four weeks every year with, with the orchestra. And... So then uh, after that, let's see what happened. Oh, after he left, left then um, Dohnani came in. And uh, I don't know. He, uh, I, I didn't think much of him, but I don't know. Who do you think was the best conductor that you played under in Cleveland? how to speak English, but forgot how to conduct an orchestra. <laughs> how to conduct. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. No, I'm not talking about the, uh, uh, Dohnani. No, right, you were talking about, about somebody the, else. One of, yeah, one of the guest conductors. Uh, <laughs> so actually, I, I don't think, I can't think of uh, who else was there. I can't... Uh, <laughs> Right now, I can't think of anybody. Zell was a terrific piano player. Supposedly, he and Rudolf Serkin uh, were contemporaries in... Uh, where the hell was it? I, I think... I don't know if it was in Vienna. I think he, he grew up in... in I think he was Hungarian by birth, but he spent most of his life in uh, Austria. 
I'd be interested in knowing um, about your relationship with some of the other uh, of the trumpet players in the United States at that time. Of course, you had Bud Herseth, Vacchiano, Roger Voisin. Were you friends with any of those folks? Uh, not really. I'd run into Herseth. Uh, we toured in Chicago a lot uh, when I was in Minneapolis, or we tour for a couple of days around the suburbs of Chicago. Once in a while, we'd play right in Chicago, and uh, I was out, uh, you know, having something to eat with her Seth once, and uh, we were friendly, but we didn't, we didn't really, uh, not 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 close friends. Mm-hmm. We'd see each other, and you know, we'd talk and get a drink or something, you know, and uh, Voisin. I never saw him uh, socially. Uh, we played in Boston just about every year, and uh, I I got to talk to him once or twice, and uh, but that was all. And who was the other one you mentioned? Uh, just uh, what I'm. Oh, what I'm yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't study with Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one, one time uh, I judged a competition. It was a GM and uh, a magazine sponsored competition. And one year, uh, it was the competition was for a piano and something else and trumpet. And I was one of the judges uh, for the trumpet uh, audition. And uh, Vacchiano was too, and that was the first time we really got together and uh, spent some time. He was a terrific guy. Yeah, he knew a lot about everybody and everything that was going on. Oh, he once he was in Minneapolis. Uh, I took him out after a concert. Uh, we took 
she and someone else uh, for a bite and, you know, got to know him a little bit there. But when we judged his competition, I forget where it was now, someplace in Michigan, I think. And that was the closest I ever came with Bill. <laughs> we went to New York a lot, but I was really never that friendly with any of those guys. So that's just the way it went. Yeah. Well, it sounds like there was at least a mutual respect. Oh, I and some oh, admiration so. between all of yeah, you guys. We made a famous record one year. It was, <laughs> I think like 25 years ago, and they're, they're still selling it. It's uh, some uh, Gabriele mm-hmm. music that for, for uh, three three groups. And Cleveland, Philadelphia, and Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I guess you have a copy of it. Well, I'm actually <laughs> on your website. Oh! <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, and that, that was... Uh, a very exciting time because, uh, uh, like, like Chicago had uh, like a great the tuba player Arnold Jacobs. Mm-hmm. They had all these terrific uh, brass players, so we got in there, and uh, it was in Philadelphia, and we started playing. There was no conductor, and we just. Started to play and when something would go to change the tempo, you know, we'd stop and a brief discussion about it. And uh, we started just, uh, talking about it, and in a couple of seconds, we, we just play it. And uh, boy, the thing, it went well. And it, <laughs> without a, a rehearsal, there's no rehearsal. <laughs> Amazing. We just, yeah, if something uh, didn't didn't go, we just do it over again. Yeah. And uh, was there was there someone that sort of took the lead uh, on that? Or I mean, how did you all know to stay together? You just sounds like you just had uh, a lot of chemistry. Oh, right from you the listen, you listen to. I I would say probably herself. Hmm. I think hers is, I, I can't remember, but I mean, anyone, uh, I think herself was the leaders who would say, uh, oh, let's do it this tempo, a little faster, a little slower, and uh, most of the time, once in a while, someone would say, gee, you know, I, I'd like to do it a little bit faster, uh, you know, at that point, Bud seemed, uh, you know, very very easy to get along with and uh, uh, but it just it came out uh, great there was someone we got won some sort of award for, for that recording I get back to Cleveland a couple of days later Zell calls me and he says oh he said I understand you made a uh, we did a recording uh, last week with uh, Gabriele with, with Chicago and Philadelphia. I said, yeah. He said, who was the conductor? <laughs> the conductor? We didn't have a conductor. He said, what do you mean? I said, we just played without a conductor. 
He said, I suppose that's what you liked about it best. <laughs> so he had a little sense of humor. Whose idea was it to bring to uh, start that project? I have no idea. Oh, okay. I have no idea. Wow. And well, I, I think they, they've, uh, last year they, they did it over again. They did another one where, with some changes, and I think there were more more players involved. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. It's It wasn't the same orchestras, but it was some of the top players in the country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, yeah, there's a, a great cut. Great players. Now. Mm. You hear some recordings of a fifteen-year-old girl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, facial. There's a girl in England. Uh, she looks like a model. And picture of her on a, on a cover. <laughs> Do you still play the trumpet, or did you hang it up? No, I'm still. Uh, I didn't hang it up. I still try and practice, but okay. it's, it's kind of tough. I mean, it's, you know, if, to, to get the muscles, uh, you know, they get tired very quickly mm. at my age. Yeah. <laughs> so if the Sarasota Symphony were to call you and say, we're doing the Rite of Spring, can you fill in? You wouldn't be available. <laughs> I, I laugh. <laughs> Well, unless it's maybe for what is four trumpets or fifth, maybe if four trumpets, I'll say if you have a fifth, I'll do it. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, yeah. Wow. So that's about the that's about the size of it. Mm. Well, Mr. Adelstein, this was wonderful, and I'm looking forward to this being on the internet, and I think a lot of people are going to enjoy this. So. Okay, yeah, let me know when uh, you get it, when it comes out. Again, my name is James Newcomb, and I'm the host of this podcast, Trumpet Dynamics. And I want to invite you to go to trumpetdynamics.com, where you have all of the archives of this podcast. Great stories, tremendous history that has been shared. This podcast is the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it, and what great stories there have been. Of course, you can find it on iTunes and TrumpetDynamics.com. Thank you for tuning in.